gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord. Was so vast the crossing I could never ford. From where I was to his demand, it seemed so far. I cried, dear Lord, I cannot come to where you are. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. That's why he died on Calvary. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. He came to me when I was bound in chains of sin. Came to me when I possessed no hope within. He picked me up and drew me gently to his side. Where today in his sweet love I now Thank you, Brother Josh. Tremendous, tremendous message and song there, and uh, he did come to me. Praise the Lord for that. He didn't come to me the first time. He's been back several times trying to keep me in line, and, uh, and he keeps coming back, and, uh, and it lines up perfectly with where we're at in our message today, and uh, I'm so thankful for that when uh, everything works together. It uh, gives you a confidence when you stand behind the pulpit that uh, what you had coming in was what you're supposed to have, and uh, it's always great to go into battle armed the right, the right way. And uh, so I'm, I'm thrilled about that and excited for the opportunity to preach to you this morning. I don't know how Pastor does it. That 845 service is a killer. Uh, man, those, those cobwebs. Oh, it doesn't matter how much coffee or Red Bull you drink. I'll tell you right now, Red Bull or coffee doesn't help. And, uh, and both of them combined barely cracks the surface. So, um, but we made it through. And uh, Pastor and Ms. Sherry are doing well. Continue to pray for them. Um, Pastor said that the smoke alarm was going off in his house, 
He's up there, you know, what's going on? Why is this thing going off? And, uh, you know, he can't smell. And so he didn't know that Miss Sherry was burning the house down. Um, <laughs> no, she wasn't really. Uh, but uh, she was cooking some burgers, and uh, it was smoking up the house, set off the alarm. But he couldn't smell it, and, uh, and so he didn't know why it was going off. But their symptoms have been mild so far, and they, from what Pastor said, it seems as though uh, they're, they're moving forward. And we're just excited about that, and I uh, continue to pray for them and uh, for the complete recovery there. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 this morning. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm just going to read a couple verses there. And, uh, and then we'll go over to uh, chapter 18. And uh, this is a momentous uh, story. I say story, but it's a real true story, a real account in God's word of something miraculous, a demonstration of God's power uh, that happens here through the prophet Elijah. And uh, Elijah is certainly one of those characters in the Bible uh, that you aspire to be like. Uh, you look at a man like him and how he was used of God and his faithfulness and now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a man, I wish I could be like Elijah. That would be a wonderful thing. And, uh, and Elijah was used by God in tremendous ways. And uh, that's an awesome thing as well, to be, to be said, for it to be said of your life that you are used by God. And uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, we see God once again trying to bring his nation back to repentance. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 1, Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, all right, so now Elijah's visiting the king Ahab. He's been sent there by God uh, because Ahab's wicked. Ahab's married to Jezebel. We know she's real wicked, right? I mean, she's the definition of wickedness. We still use Jezebel as a derogatory name today uh, because of the wickedness of that, this character in the Bible, Jezebel. And so is a wicked king, it's a wicked queen, and the nation has been led astray by their leadership. And so God's trying to get their intention, uh, attention, and he sends Elijah. And he says unto Ahab, verse number one, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Hey, buddy, old pal, you're not listening to what the Lord wants to say to you. And so you're getting no dew, you're getting no rain, and it's going to be years. That's all he tells them. And says, until I come back at my word, then you'll get some rain. The Bible says in verse number two, and the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, get thee hence. And turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. So Elijah is then sent into hiding. He proclaims a a famine, he proclaims a a, a drought upon the land, and God sends him over to a brook, the brook Cherith, where he's going to provide for Elijah there, and uh, he's going to meet Elijah's needs, and he's going to do a spiritual strengthening in Elijah's life. I believe that that time at the brook where God said, go thee hence and hide thyself, was going to be a time for him to strengthen himself spiritually. And we, we all need those times. Uh, recently we heard in message how it's important for us to get away sometimes. But the getting away has always been to, grow, to draw and grow, strength or, uh, grow stronger in our relationship with the Lord. That's what getting away is for. And that's where Elijah's at. He's getting away with the Lord. He's going to strengthen himself. For in the very next chapter, he's going to be used of God in miraculous ways. And I believe the Lord has some preparatory work to do in Elijah's heart and his life. Over the next three years, a drought would take place in the land, and people would die. They would starve to death. As a matter of fact, even throughout the chapter 17, we see Elijah, when he's finally called away from that brook where he comes across a a, a woman, a widow, who has a, a son. And this widow and her son have just enough meal left to make one loaf of bread. 
And I don't even think it was a full loaf. I would think it was more like a, a muffin. And they were starving to death. I imagine they're already emaciated. Their bodies are frail and uh, maybe their stomach's bloated and they're preparing to die. They've been starving for three years, a slow death. And Elijah comes and he says, hey, make me some bread and feed me. And he said, the, the widow says, what are you asking of this? This of me? What are you doing? I've got one cake left to feed my son and myself and then we're going to die. And you want bread? Man, the nation has been going through a difficult time. It's clear. Three years of famine. Three years of drought. What would that look like if there was no water across the globe for three years? Imagine how desperate we would be. Yeah, we would be desperate. And, uh, and so it, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing. But again, the Lord's trying to get their attention. He's trying to bring revival to a nation. Sometimes it takes drastic measures to get a nation's attention. I think the Lord's trying to get our attention. He's trying to deal with our nation. I think drastic measures are in place to try to get the people of America, God's trying to get our attention. The Christians of America, I should say, not just the people. If my people, God's people, will humble themselves and pray and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. That's where we're at and that's where the Israelites were at. They were in need of healing in their land. God's about to perform a miracle to show his power and his strength to them. Remember, these Jews, they required a sign. And so God is going to send Elijah. And in chapter 18, Elijah is going to confront the 300 prophets of Baal. And he's going to climb up Mount Carmel. And he's going to mock them and make fun of them as they cut themselves and dance and cry out to their God, Baal. And, and in all of that, nothing will be accomplished. And in a matter of moments... Elijah will take buckets upon buckets of water and dump them upon a sacrifice on a stone altar. And in a single prayer to the Lord that he would be lifted up and his name would be magnified, Elijah calls down fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and the water and the rocks. A demonstration of God's power and might. This is certainly one of the most momentous stories in the Bible. But as a footnote to that, is the story about a little-known man named Obadiah. Now, Obadiah, obviously, is a name we recognize because of the prophet. We recognize that book, the book of Obadiah in the Bible, but this is not the same Obadiah. This is a different man, and we find him introduced in chapter 18. If you look there in chapter 18, Elijah, remember he said, there's going to be no water till I show back up at my word will be water. And so in verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah... In the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went and to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. We talked about the difficulty that was taking place. And then here we see the introduction of our character today. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now I don't know about you, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a pretty good introduction for a man. It says of Obadiah right off the bat that he was a man that feared the Lord greatly. I think that that's a commendation. 
I think that that's a, a good recommendation about this man's character. Right off the bat, the, the way the Lord chose to record Obadiah, uh, and remembering who he was as his character as a man, was that he feared the Lord greatly. It then goes on to recount a courageous act that, the, that the, the man Obadiah had done on behalf of the Lord. Jezebel, that wicked queen, uh, after Elijah had pronounced that uh, drought, got real angry. So she started hunting down all the prophets, trying to find Elijah, Ahab and um, Jezebel, trying to find Elijah. For three years, they were trying to hunt him down. And in the process, she was killing all the other prophets they found. And so this man, Obadiah, took them 50 at a time, hid them in a cave, Hey, he took water from somewhere. I'm assuming he, don't, he could have only taken it from the palace, right? It's a drought for three years. The only people who are going to have water and bread is the king. So somehow he's sneaking water and he's sneaking bread and he's, he's feeding these hundred prophets, protecting them from Queen Jezebel. A very courageous act, is it not? Certainly is. And, and right on the onset, again, I, I, I reiterate, I, I believe that it's a, a glowing... Uh, uh, testimony of who Obadiah was. But I use that word was intentionally because I think Obadiah had changed over these years. You see, I, while it starts out with a glowing review, Obadiah's testimony kind of shifts as we go through his life story. See, Obadiah changed somewhere along the line. Somewhere along the line from hiding those prophets and being a man of courage... Obadiah became comfortable in his surroundings. You see, I find it very bewildering that Obadiah could serve Ahab and Jezebel. He was the governor in their house. And for years and for years, Obadiah served at the will of Jezebel and Ahab. Now, doesn't that kind of boggle your mind a little bit? How could somebody that fears the Lord so greatly be so closely associated with such wicked people? Now, it doesn't, it doesn't boggle my mind that they were in close proximity to each other because that's what we're called to do as believers. We are to be in the world, and be, in order to influence the people of the world, we have to be in it. In order to be a witness, we have to be in it. Right? That's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to be. That's why we have no right to go hide ourselves out, you know, in the Pacific Northwest and lock ourselves way back up in the woods and the trees and just, you know, disown society as much as I would love to do that. We can't do that. You know, I'd love to take my little Kavanaugh militia that I'm forming right now and go hide up in the woods and just take care of me and mine. But that's not what our calling is as Christians. We're to be a light in a world darkness. And so it doesn't boggle my mind at all that he's in close proximity to this wickedness. That's, that's where he's supposed to be. What bothers me and where, where I come off in believing and what I see here and believing that something changed in Obadiah's life is that he was there for all that time without being detected. How could he be so close to that wickedness and be the light that he was supposed to be and never be found out? See, there's other men in Scripture who were just like Obadiah. Daniel was in the middle of wickedness, in government. But you know what Daniel did? He refused a portion of the king's meat. He said, I have some biblical principle that I need to live by, and so I'm going to be in the world, but I'm going to live my biblical principles out. I'm going to be obedient to the word of God. And you know what that did? It made him a target. It showed who he truly was. It revealed who he was. 
But somehow, all this time, Obadiah was able to fly under the radar. That throws up a red flag for me. You know, we think about Joseph, taken from his family, sold into slavery, taken to Egypt. He becomes the prince of Egypt, but through that all, he never sells his principles out. He never becomes comfortable in the position which he has. Everything he does through his whole life is, a, is, is simply to bring honor to the Lord. His time in jail, his time in Potiphar's house, his false accusations, all of it brought honor to God. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to be a light in the darkness in which we find ourselves. But Obadiah somehow became comfortable. And let let me be abundantly clear that I am not standing in judgment of Obadiah. I believe that by the end of this message, like me, you'll feel that there's quite a bit of Obadiah in you. Where our desire is kind of to fly under the radar. And for whatever reason, I don't know his justifications or, or where he was at, but Obadiah, uh, he convinced himself it was okay. Maybe he felt like, hey, you know what? I can change this from within. If I stay close to this, this wickedness, if I get close here, then I can change it from the inside out. But that's not how the Lord calls us to change things. The Lord says, I want you to change things from the outside in. I'm not talking about your own personal heart, but as being a witness. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. We're not supposed to make ourselves comfortable in this world in which we live. Our calling is to be separate, but for some reason, Obadiah, here he is, just going along with the flow. Yes, he had done something courageous. Yes, he had done something in his past that was great, but at this point in his life, He's just kind of in motion. You know, maybe he's thinking, man, if I, if I make myself known, then all of a sudden my boss is going to know that I'm a believer and that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm going to lose my job. This is the only place in the whole nation that has bread and water. This is the only way God can provide for me. You know, a lot of times we have the same emotions and we, we feel the same way, just a different time, but we feel the same way that, uh, that uh, uh, Obadiah did. We feel like we got it figured out where God is limited and how he's going to meet our needs. But the truth of the matter is what God wants from us is for us not to compromise our principles and to to live in accordance and obedience to his word. And when we are just simply obedient to him, I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. But Obadiah had sunk right into it where he felt like he could just be right a part of the world. Yeah, you know what it said of Obadiah? That he feared the Lord greatly. I don't dispute it. You can't. It says it right there. So it's possible to fear the Lord greatly and still go along with the flow of the world. Yeah, that's possible. Now, I can't explain that necessarily, except to say that I've been there, kind of just going along with the flow. Not that I agree with it, but I'm not going to stand in opposition to it either. And that's where Obadiah was. It's not necessarily that he agreed with it, but he had concocted something in his head where he felt like he didn't have to speak up and be a witness for Christ. And he was all right. You know, this great giant story is taking place through chapter 17 and 18, where God is trying to bring revival to a nation. But then God throws in this one individual character and says, I want to work on him. 
While I'm bringing repentance to a nation, and while I'm about to do miraculous things for a nation, there's an individual that needs working on. And that's what's about to take place in chapter 18. And I think that that's an encouraging thought. To know that while God's got a big picture and plan, a big picture and play that is, he's also got a plan for your life. And he wants to work on you. And while he's working on the big picture, he wants to work on you as well. He wants to change you and he wants to make you into what you ought to be. God takes time out of the schedule of his man, the prophet Elijah, to address Obadiah. And we see here in chapter 18 and verse number 3, it says, And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord. Verse number 5, it says, And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all the fountains of water, and unto all the brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we, may, that we lose not all of the beasts. <laughs> that just goes again to show the wickedness of Ahab's heart. Not concerned a lick about his people or returning to God. He's only concerned about saving his mules and his horses. Verse number six, it says, So they divided the land between them to pass throughout. I think this is amazing. And Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. This is the intention of God, that God's got a purpose and a plan and everything. Here we have two men going two different directions. In the next verse, one of these men is going to run smack dab right into the prophet Elijah. If for some reason Ahab had told Obadiah to go the other direction, then Elijah would have ran right into Ahab on this road. And we would have fast forwarded right through Obadiah's life, right to the Mount Carmel. But you know what? God paused. And he sent Obadiah down that road. And if you look in verse number uh, seven, it says, And Obadiah was in the way. I think that that's an interesting wording. Obadiah was in the way. What was he in the way of? I think he was in the way of God. Better yet, I think God got in his way. Obadiah was out on a purpose. He's trying to find grass for the animals to eat. But then God got in his way. It says in verse number seven, and behold, Elijah met him and he knew him and fell on his face and said, art thou that my Lord, Elijah? I want to preach a message this morning entitled, when God gets in your way. When God gets in your way. Obadiah had gotten comfortable in the world in which he lived. And he's traveling down a path right now where he's going out just in the mundane life. Now remember, the world around him is dying and he's out hunting grass for, for animals. It's a sore famine. A widow and her son were about to die, <laughs> their last loaf of bread. No doubt, even as Obadiah is walking down this path, he sees desert plains. Brown grass fields after fields, crops that never grew. It could have been that he sees the bloated carcass of, a, of an animal laying on the side of the road that died. It may have been that he saw the little bloated bellies of children as they were foraging through fields or forests looking for the same grasses to eat on that Obadiah was looking for the animals. But Obadiah, either way, was just going about his everyday life. He had fallen into a routine, he had gotten used, in, uh, used to his surroundings, he had become accustomed to the difficulties of life, and just kind of plugging through mindlessly. Then all of a sudden, behold, 
It's the same, behold, that the angels said to the shepherds, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And here, behold, Elijah was in the way. Elijah, the man of God who's about to go and do spiritual warfare against 300 prophets of Baal, but God sent him down a path where he was going to run smack dab into Obadiah so that the following conversation could take place and so that God could get the attention of Obadiah. When God gets in our way. Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help this message to be an encouragement and a strengthening to your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We see Obadiah here out about and doing his tasks. And we see there, if you would look with me, in verse number eight. Uh, Yeah, verse number eight. And Elijah, this is talking about Elijah, and he answered him and said, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, what have I sinned? that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Remember this conversation that Elijah is about to have with Obadiah is going to be a revealing conversation. At this point, I don't believe Obadiah really even understood what was happening in his life. I believe he had become desensitized spiritually. And again, you can say it's conjecture, but wait till the end of the message and see this conversation. I believe that it unfolds and and makes it clear how Obadiah had become spiritually insensitive about his own condition. And that's why God had to get in his way. First of all, I want you to notice in the verses we just read, verses 8 through 11, how Obadiah feared the Lord, but was afraid of man. I believe that this is one of the things that led to his desensitization. It's what led to him becoming accustomed to the world in which he lived, where he was okay with not speaking up, where he was okay with not being a witness, where he was okay being in Ahab's house and not being a light in a world that was without hope. He was okay with it because he feared the Lord and he felt good about that, but he was afraid of man. It's revealed in his response to the prophet Elijah. Elijah said, go tell your master that I'm here. And his first response is, what, have I sinned? You're trying to send me to my death? Now, I'll give validity to his fears. We have those sayings like, don't shoot the messenger, because the messenger with bad news usually got shot. And so Obadiah, on one hand, has a valid fear. He's like, yo, dude, I know you're the man of God, but I don't want to be the one that goes and tells him that you're back. I don't want to have to tell him that. He was worried about his own physical well-being. But that's not a valid fear. Fear of whether you're going to lose your life or not is not a godly fear. And whether it's as extreme as you losing your own physical life and being killed for the cause of Christ, or whether it's someone shaming you, or whether it's you speaking up and you being embarrassed, or them uh, mocking you for your faith, it's not a valid fear for us to shut our mouths for the cause of Christ, because we're afraid of men. He feared the Lord, and yes, in one aspect, 
I think mostly in his past life, in, in, his, in his history, at one point in his life. He feared the Lord, but at this point in his life, he was afraid of man. The man of God said, go, deliver the message. And he said, yo, buddy, this might cost me my life. I don't think I'm willing to go that far. You know, I think that there's a little bit of Obadiah in us. I think all of us can attest that some, to some degree or varying forms and fashion, all of us have a fear that if we don't keep in check and if we don't deal with it and if we don't prioritize the Lord and our purpose here on this earth, we will become afraid of men around us. Coworkers, bosses, family members, friends, relationships that we have worked years to cultivate and to build, we don't want to ruin by talking about Jesus Christ. We're approaching a time of year when we're told we're not supposed to gather as families, but it's a time of year where typically you would get together with your family and, and you would have ability to have conversation. Thanksgiving, a time of year where we give thanks. Who to? God, for all that he's done for us. But for most part, people weren't going to talk about God around Thanksgiving. Our family doesn't talk about religion. It causes conflict. You see, this is a, a bad condition. This is a horrible place to be in. And this is why God had to get in front of Obadiah and say, Hey, Obadiah, it's time for you to change the way you're living. You're living in a world that's dying. The famine is sore. People are going to hell. you got to wake up, buddy. You might be comfortable where you're at, but there's a lot of people who are going to die and spend an eternity in hell because you're keeping your mouth shut. Deliverance was about to be brought to the people of Israel. Elijah was about to show the power of God and rain was about to come. But Obadiah didn't want any part of it. Oh, that God's people would say, you know what? I will not fear what man could do to me. And I know it's a big ask and I know it's an overcoming of our flesh and our own, our own personal uh, natural response of self-preservation. But that's not what God wants. God simply wants us to live in fear of him, not afraid of man. But Obadiah had become afraid of man. Can I read you what the Christian life ought to look like? In Psalm chapter 27, the Bible says, The Lord is, the light, is my light, and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies, enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise up against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set, my, uh, he shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore, therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. That psalm speaks about the position of strength that the believer is to live their lives in. A confidence in the Lord. And right there in the middle of the passage, he says, hey, there's nothing more important to me than I, that I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There's nothing more important to me than that I please the Lord in everything that I do. 
Yes, people may mock me, people may malign me, people may make fun of me, but that doesn't matter because I want to be in the presence of the Lord. And if that means they're going to mock me, then I'm going to do what's right. I will not be afraid what men can do to me. We live in a world today, and we've reiterated this for the last 11 months, that all they're doing is using fear to beat up the American people and to beat up the world. They're using it as a tool to to stop us in our tracks, fear of a virus. We're constantly, anytime you turn on any kind of media, it's right there in your face. And what does it do? It does the same thing to us that it does to a deer in the headlights. If I don't move, they won't see me. Pow! Right? That's what it does. I said believers, are, believers who are living their lives today feel like they got hit by a freight train afraid of what's going to happen to their lives. What if I get COVID and die? I understand. Let me be the little politician. All lives are important. If one person dies, it's too many. Okay, we got that out of the way. What if that's God's plan for your life, though? I'm not saying because of negligence or because of stupidity or because of being exposed to it because of some bad decisions. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you get a disease the way that some people get cancer and die. Oh, people don't like this. We don't like to talk like this. But you know, God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And sometimes that includes difficult things. Sometimes that includes things that might even take our lives. For Americans, it's been extremely rare that someone would lose our life in America for the cause of Christ. Rare if non-existent. But you know what? There's people all around the world who are losing their lives. And for them, it's a reality. And for them, they say, you know what? All that I care about is that I dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life. But Obadiah had become fearful of men. And so that had made him comfortable in the world in which he lived, just kind of flying under the radar. I don't want to upset the apple cart. Elijah, how dare you send me? You're going to send me to do that? Surely the king is going to kill me. But that for sure is what Elijah was asking of him. You know, God's going to stretch your faith sometimes and ask you to do things you don't think you can do. And that brings me to the second thing. In verse number 12, if you'd read with me there. Obadiah is still talking and for these sections of verses here, Obadiah is kind of talking to himself. I, I feel like it's one of those dialogues where he's like, I can't do this, there's no way. But I love the Lord and I would do anything for him, but I can't do this. There's no way I can do it. But I would do anything for the Lord if it was asked of me. And that's really what this dialogue is like right here. Verse number 12, he says, and it shall come to pass. So he's already done the first thing. He say, he's already told the first story. Hey, we've searched for you throughout the whole nation. We certified you weren't here. I'm not going to be the messenger that comes and tells him you're here. So that's his first excuse. Now we're on to excuse number two. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I'm gone from thee to go deliver the message, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me, but I thy servant fear the Lord from my youth. You see what I'm getting at? Where he's like, you know, uh, I would go tell him for you. I, I would do what you're asking me. 
But as soon as I turn my back, that sneaky little God, he's just going to call you away from me. And so I don't know where you're at. And now I'm the liar in front of Ahab saying, I saw you and he's coming to talk to you. And now he's going to kill me. But I promise I feared the Lord from my youth. I feared the Lord from my youth. You know, we start to see this inclination where Obadiah has kind of been holding on to his past relationship with the Lord. Not so much his present relationship with the Lord. We start to see this coming out in his life. Where Obadiah was faithful to church. Where Obadiah was a servant for the Lord. And here he is right here in our passage. Still fearing the Lord. Remember, he's still fearing the Lord. But Obadiah feared the Lord, but he didn't trust God's plan. He feared the Lord, but he didn't trust God's plan. Elijah, you're going you're gonna to tell me and send me, and then God's just going to pull you away. And I'm going to be st- stuck, holding my own head in my hands. Well, I mean, there's certainly a point there. God has called other people away and vanished them in the middle of something. I'm sure he had heard stories about Elisha. But what if that was God's plan? What if it was that God wanted to send Obadiah to the king Ahab and pull him away? What if? What if? You see, the thing is, we can say we fear the Lord all we want, but if we don't trust him, do we really fear the Lord? If we don't trust the way that he works in our hearts and our lives and what he's trying to do in us, do we really fear him? You know, there's certainly times in our lives where God's at work whether through testing or through trial, he's at work in our hearts and our lives. And we look at it and we say, I don't like the way that God's working. I wish he would do this another way. But his ways are not our ways. And what he's trying to accomplish is usually not what we think he's trying to accomplish. He's coming from a whole other angle that we don't even see. We just have to be submitted to it. But Obadiah didn't want that. Obadiah didn't want to be submitted to the plan. Obadiah wanted control of his circumstances. Obadiah wanted control of this difficulty that he might face ahead of him. He wanted to be the man who could say yes or no. He didn't want to have to relinquish control to God. He thought he had a better thing. Maybe a better plan. Maybe he, maybe he had a better route. Maybe in the back of his mind he's concocting this idea. Well, you know what? What I can do is I can go over back to the, to the palace and then I can hand this message off to somebody else and, and then they can give it to the king so that I'm not the one doing it. After all, I'm the governor of the house. And, but that's not what God wanted. God was trying to stretch Obadiah. That's why he was confronted in the way. That's why in this great big picture of God trying to revive a nation. The Lord points out the picture of this little man who really is inconsequential to the story of Mount Carmel. But he brings him out for us to observe, for us to realize that sometimes in our lives, we will fear the Lord, or say we fear the Lord, but not trust God's plan. Do you trust what God is doing in your life? 
Not that you just do it with lip service, but you genuinely trust it. I think about Job. Here's Job sitting, Job chapter 1 and towards the end of the thing, and, and messenger after messenger after messenger shows up at Job's door. Hey, uh, Job, uh, you just lost all your children. Hey, Job, um, sorry, but uh, all of your flocks and herds and everything, uh, they've just been killed. Uh, hey, Job, all your wealth, it's gone. Hey, Job, uh, your health, uh, I, oh, you probably noticed by now, you've got giant boils all over your body. Job rent his clothes, sat before the Lord. Lord, undoubtedly, with a tear in his eye, naked came I into the world. Guess I'm going out the same way. You've given, you've taken away. Blessed be your name. You know, we can say we fear the Lord, but do we trust his plan? What is God trying to do in your life? How's he trying to work on you? Maybe he's doing something in your children's lives and it's hard to watch. Maybe he's doing something in your life and it's hard to handle. Maybe he's stretching your faith. Maybe, hey, maybe even through this whole virus thing, he's stretching you. Maybe through the, the calamity in our government, he's stretching you. Maybe through the lack of peace in our society today, he's stretching you. Maybe you've got financial stresses right now. Maybe you've got, I don't know what they are. But if you're a child of God, can I encourage you? Can I stress to you this morning the importance of just trusting his plan? Trust his plan. His ways are perfect. His ways are perfect. No, you may not understand them, but his ways are perfect. Obadiah, he had gotten caught up in the midst of all this. And you know what he had done? I believe he had taken control of his own life. Remember how we talked about he maybe kind of felt like his only way that he could provide was still staying there? Maybe by being in close proximity, here's bread and water, I can at least provide for my family. Maybe he had taken control of that out of God's hand. You know, it's God's responsibility to provide for you, not yours. Yeah. Husband, you're not the provider for your home. God's the provider for your home. He just uses you. But are you surrendered to whatever plan he brings into your life? Maybe he puts you in a situation where your, your, your principles are going to have to be violated. And in order to keep that job, you're going to have to violate your principles. Are you going to be Obadiah? Are you going to to say you fear God but not trust his plan? Are you going to give in? Are you going to let your principles be violated? Or say, well, I'm worse than an infidel if I don't provide. I believe Obadiah compromised his principles to stay in the position he was in. He took control away from God and took control of his own life. And here we find him. God having to deal with him. Finally, this morning, verse number 13 and 14, it says, 
Was it not told, my Lord, what I did? Now he, he pleads. He's pleading with Elijah. You, you're trying to send me to kill me. What, have I sinned? You're trying to kill me? If I go and deliver this message, you're, it's going to kill me. Verse number 13. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? Hey, Elijah, don't you know what I've done for the cause of Christ? Don't you know what I sacrificed? I'm willing to do anything for the Lord. I fear the Lord. Just don't ask me to do this. Don't you know what I have done? Don't you know that I was willing? How I hid in hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave, fed them with bread and water, and now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord. Behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. He's back to it again. If I go do this thing, again, I'm willing to do whatever, but if I go do it, you know he's going to kill me. Don't you know what I've done for the cause of Christ? You know, I think, I think Obadiah talked himself right through this whole thing. You ever done that with yourself? Where you had a bad idea and you start kind of hashing it out loud, and by the time you're done explaining it kind of to the person you're trying to convince about it, you realize, no, that's not such a great idea. You ever been there? Where you kind of talked yourself out of something or maybe talked yourself into trouble? <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about this conversation with Obadiah. I feel the whole time Obadiah needs, he just needs to go, to, knows he needs to just go deliver the message. But if I go deliver the message, He's, he's already searched the whole nation and made everyone promise that you're not here. If I go deliver that message, you, he's going ki to kill me. He goes through these justifications. No, you know what, Elijah? You know, if I have to go, to, he's going to slay me. Don't you know what I've done? You see, what's happening in Elijah's life is, or in, in Obadiah's life is a lot like what happens in our lives pretty regularly. Conviction sets in, and the justification begins. Obadiah knew there was something that needed to change in his life. He knew that he was going to finally have to stand up and be an open witness that he was a follower of Christ. He knew that's, that what, that's what it was going to take. He knew he couldn't go any further. See, up to this point, he had courage to do something for the Lord, but that courage only led him as far as him being able to keep his Christianity a secret. See, everything that he had done in hiding those prophets all depended on him keeping a secret. I mean, if you just take the whole fact aside that he was hiding the prophets, you know what else he was doing? He was stealing bread and water from the king and queen. So he would have been busted anyway. Everything that he had done for the cause of Christ depended on his faith being hidden. But now his faith was going to be put to the test. He could no longer hide it. He could no longer be a secret Christian. He had, he had convinced himself that that was okay, but up to this point, 
you know what? And he, he had talked himself through it, but now no more. The Lord said, hey, you know what, Obadiah, it's time for things to change in your life. The nation is at a point where it needs to turn. And you know what? I'm about to do something big on the nation's scale. But before we get to the na- national revival, it needs, a, a, need a, a, an individual revival. We need something to take place in your heart and in your life before we can go any fa- further. And so Obadiah, now is the time. Now is the time for you to deal with the conviction and stop justifying your behavior. He couldn't get by with it any further. He was at a crossroads. He was going to have to confront his fear of man. He was going to have to turn over control of his life to the Lord. And he was going to have to be honest with the Holy Spirit's working in his life. Don't you hate it when God gets in your way? (laughs) And I say that tongue in cheek. Because there's times in our lives where we're just going along and we just kind of got everything figured out and then all of a sudden God comes just kind of out of nowhere and just says, here, here you go. I need you to fix this. If you're going to get to where I want you to get to, you're going to need to deal with this. A lot of times we do like Obadiah did here. Hey, don't you remember what I've done for the Lord? And we start to justify what we used to be. But God isn't interested in that. He's really not interested in what we used to be. Our relationship with the Lord is a day-to-day thing. He wants us to walk uprightly today. He wants us to die to self today. You know, I said... I think there's a little bit of Obadiah in all of us. And I truly, I truly believe that if we just want to be indiscriminate, I think that the American church is predominantly Obadiah. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We don't want to upset the apple cart. I'm not talking about being obnoxious in your witness for Christ. I'm not talking about being a moron and turning people off to the cause of Christ by being dumb. That's not what Daniel did, yet he was still a bold witness. That's not what Joseph did, yet he was still a bold witness. But then there was Obadiah. He just kind of flew under the radar. Not hindering the cause of Christ, but not personally helping it. I wonder this morning, how do you compare to Obadiah and his spiritual condition? You know, I think we need some, we need some Elijahs. God got down there right in front of Obadiah. Behold, God got right in his way. The messages that we hear week in and week out, God is always getting in my way. (laughs) He's getting in my way all the time. But how do I respond to that? You know, we would see in Obadiah that he would receive encouragement from Elijah and he would go deliver that message. That message he delivered to Ahab was the turning point for the nation. It was the beginning of Mount Carmel. Our nation needs reviving. 
But I am determined, I have determined and understand more so than ever that God wants to do some individual works first. He wants to fix some Obadiahs. Before he can move forward in hopefully a national revival, there's got to be some individual change. And it all starts when God gets in our way. Obadiah talked his way through it and came to the recognition that God was trying to teach him some things and he submitted to it. I wonder this morning, is there some things that God has gotten in your way about recently? In your witness and your walk, in your worship with the Lord, are they what they ought to be? And if they're not, is, are you justifying it why you're not? Are you excusing it why you're not making the changes that he wants to change in your heart and your life? Hey, I understand none of us are perfect, and that's why that song is so amazing. He came to me. He came to me in the beginning when I was still a sinner. I was lost in sin. I was without hope. And maybe you're in this room today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ your Savior. I want you to know that this morning the Lord is reaching down with His hand and He wants to pull you out that there is an eternity for you and it can be heaven if you will accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of our sin is death and that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. But God so loved the world and he loved you and he loved me that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting lives. And if you and I will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thou will call upon the name of the Lord. Thou shalt be saved. It's not anything that you do. It's not anything that you could have done. It's only in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you can find forgiveness of your sin. And that's where Jesus reached down to me while I was still a sinner and pulled me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings and gave me purpose in my life. Hey, there is no purpose that this world can afford greater than the purpose that I have in Jesus Christ. And he established that in my life by pulling me out of that miry clay. But you know what? Along the way, along the journey, there's been times where in my life, just like Obadiah, I have become comfortable and I have eased into this life, losing purpose and losing momentum. Where you know what? He did the same thing to me that he did the first time. He reached down, extended that olive branch and said, Hey, Steve, restoration is here if you'll turn from it. Hey, Obadiah, I know I'm in your way, but if you'll change it, I'll use you. If you'll change it, I'll still work in your life. And if we turn to him, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friend, I don't know where you're at today. God does. Is he in your way? And if so, what is he trying to work on? Would you stand with me this morning?
At our services here at the church, we have a time of invitation. It's a time where you can respond. You can come down and kneel at the altar. There's nothing significant as far as a a miracle is going to take place at these stairs, but it's just a simple humbling of ourselves where we kneel before the Lord and talk to him about what he's talked to us about. Preaching is supposed to bring us to a point of decision. As you've heard the message this morning, the piano is going to begin to play, and if the Lord spoke to your heart, I want to encourage you to kneel before him and to pray. So as the piano begins, the invitation begins this morning.